Hey everybody, welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. My name is Phil Bruns and thank you so much for taking time from your day to be with us. You know, we're so excited to get started on a three-part series today where we look at a biblical character in the book of Acts where his Christian walk just doesn't always go as he thought it might. And we're going to learn some great principles to help us, not just in our Christian walk, but every area of our life. So stay tuned. Let's get it going. You know, the idea of living free in 23, or living free actually any time, whether it's 2023 or any year, is a great idea. Who would not like that? It's much easier said than done. That's the problem. I want to live free in 23, but roadblocks come and my humanness gets in the way. This happens, that happens, and that path to living free that we've been discussing uh, throughout the, uh, several, several lessons here. That path gets muddied. Trees fall in the way. Rocks fall on the path. Roadblocks come, and it gets cloudy, and it's not, just, it's not as, uh, quite as clear as it once was. So the idea of being able to walk this path when it gets difficult is important to discuss. The idea of being able to get around the rocks, to be able to climb over the trees on our path to living free is an important one to discuss because it not can only help us uh, just in our Christian walk, but I know that every area of your life has obstacles. It could be work, it could be school, it could be your marriage, it could be your family, it could be all kinds of things. But things get in our way, things happen that we don't expect. And so our ability to regroup is paramount. But the ability to do it well is a game changer. The ability to regroup is paramount, but the ability to do it well is a game changer. When things don't go as you thought, when it takes more effort, when it is more difficult than you would ever have wished for and ever dreamt it would have been, the ability to regroup well keeps you going. This is an idea that, goodness, every parent of small children would know. Things don't always go as you thought they might when you're with your young children. For us, there's, uh, we have a story of many years ago when our kids were small and we uh, went, oftentimes took our camper out. We had a little pop-up and we'd go to uh, different state parks for long weekends here and there throughout the summer. And it was on one of these trips one night that everything seemed to be going really well. Everybody was sound asleep. We had been there for a couple of days. We had, uh, had gone and seen some caves. We had gone to the park. We had done this and that. We were having a fantastic time. And we had plans for the next day and the next couple of days. But then one night, in the middle of the night, one of our children decided to vomit. And when they vomit, it was somewhat while they were sleeping, and it ended up going all over the sleeping bag, all over the pajamas, all over the clothes of one of our other children. It was a mess. The great thing about it was that nobody seemed to wake up except for my wife and I. So we did our best to get it cleaned up that night, but then we needed to regroup. The next day, it was I that took the clothes, that took the pajamas, took the sleeping bag to the laundromat and got it all washed. Meanwhile, my wife took the kids uh, to a museum and they had a fantastic time. And to this day, nobody has a memory of it happening other than us telling them the story. But the idea to be able to regroup is huge throughout our lives. 
but we were prepared to regroup in that moment. In fact, every parent of a small child should be prepared to regroup. You know, we were ready with, uh, to be able to get to the laundromat. We were ready to, to redo our schedule if we needed to do. You know, this, again, the idea of, of, being, uh, of regrouping applies professionally, applies spiritually to marriage and family. And I thought it important enough, this idea of, of, of regrouping, it would not give it justice in just one lesson. So we're going to have three, and this is the first one, and we're, again, so excited about that. Because part of being able to regroup well is actually the front part of preparing yourself to regroup. I call that group because if you can group well, then you can regroup well. Preparing ourselves, getting ready. Imagine a football team in the huddle deciding what play they're going to run next. As we journey through the book of Acts, there are so many situations of people running into roadblocks or things just going differently than expected where people needed uh, to regroup. Well, we've chosen to look at Philip, and we start with Philip in Acts chapter 6, but looking at his life, looking at the principles that helped carry him to not just to, to group in the beginning, but to be able to regroup not just once, but to regroup again a third time. So if you have your Bible or want to listen in, I'm going to start reading In the English Standard Version of the Bible, I'm going to read in Acts chapter 6, in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It was a moment where the whole church needed to regroup. As we start our lesson in on Philip, it's important to get the background of the story. We had two different groups of Jews. We had the Hellenists and the Hebrew Jews. Now, the difference is uh, really that they came from different areas and different backgrounds as far as language. You know, the Hellenists mostly spoke Greek and would have attended Greek-speaking synagogues. The Hebrew Jews, well, they would have been found at the Hebrew-speaking synagogues. So even though they were Jews and they were all followers of Jesus and united in that, there would have been some very natural cultural and social differences and no doubt tensions between them because of that. Wouldn't be that dissimilar to some of the cultural uh, differences that we have today and some of the tensions that are created because of some of the background. But what I love about this, that in the background of this, is that this is a church now of 
not just a, a few dozen or even a hundred or two hundred, but there are literally thousands of Jesus followers in Jerusalem and in the Jerusalem area. It was a lot of people. But the 12 apostles found it important enough to make sure that the widows were cared for, to make sure that the daily distribution of food met the needs that were there. It wasn't something that they overlooked. It wasn't something that they had bypassed, but it was something important enough that the 12 apostles wanted to make sure was fixed. And it was a problem. It wasn't going that well. There were some of the widows that were not receiving their food, and some were. And so we start with this story that, by the way, is a great lesson in leadership. The leadership of the apostles we see here, that they see the problem, and they work collaboratively with the community, with the people, to come up with the solution. You know, sometimes as whether we're bosses or whether we're in charge of a group at school or wherever we might be, you know, in a leadership role, seeing the needs is a huge skill, is a hugely important skill to have, to seeing needs, to having the humility, to seeing what, what is not working under your leadership, to change it, and to work collaboratively with others to solve the problem to create a safe place in which people can come and bring a problem of, hey, we have some widows here that we're not, they're not being fed, that it was a safe enough a place to, to, to confront the apostles, to ask them about it, to, to maybe, and maybe they saw it. Maybe they saw it and they were the ones themselves that saw the problem. But regardless, it was a safe environment that everybody could work together to come up with the solution. And the solution, of course, involved the picking of seven, seven uh, men. But they didn't just pick off to, to pass it off to anybody. They just didn't pass it off to you know, the, the nearest volunteer. They picked seven that had some qualifications to them. It says they had a good reputation, of good repute, good reputation. It said they were full of the Spirit. And three, that they had some wisdom about them. And of course, in the list of the seven, that is where we meet Philip. We don't know all of his background. There is a Philip that's also a disciple of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. But this is a different Philip. And so we don't know all of his background. But we do know that these descriptions, they just don't come naturally. It just doesn't come natural to be full of the Spirit, to have wisdom, good reputation. They don't, uh, they, they don't involve from the goodness of one's heart. They evolved from some choices that Philip had made. And so while we don't know of his background, we can see into his life a bit. The first thought here is about Philip is that he picked up his cross. He picked up his cross. At one point prior to this, Philip, again, he needed, had made some choices about Jesus. One of those choices we find in Luke chapter 9, a teaching that Jesus had spoken to his disciples and others that were there listening to him. Luke chapter 9, and verse 23, about what it would be like if you want to follow Jesus. In verse 23, he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, or loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. To have these three descriptors of a good reputation, full of the Spirit, and wisdom to describe Philip means that he was living as a true Jesus follower. He was doing his best every day to live as Jesus did. You know, wherever it started, however it started, or whenever it started for Philip, at this point, he was actually full of the Spirit. And of course, if you are full of anything, then there's not much room for anything else. In this case, he's full of the Spirit. And so it's just who he is. It's emulating out of him. I once knew a guy that drank every day two liters of Mountain Dew. Two liters of Mountain Dew every day. I couldn't believe it. And I would say that, my goodness, he was full of Mountain Dew. You know, if you could bottle up the Holy Spirit and put it in a two-liter bottle, would you drink two liters of the Holy Spirit every day? Would that be a descriptor of, of you? You know, for Philip, he understood the idea of putting his hopes and his desires that previously, by the way, would have been centered on himself, centered on, on his life, his goals, his dreams, and centering them now on Jesus centered on the cross. You know, we just read Luke chapter 9, but that's not something Philip could have done. That wasn't written yet at this point. But imagine his best friends that were there, his acquaintances, the people that he worshiped God with. It's some of these very men and women that had left things behind to follow Jesus himself. Peter and Andrew leaving their nets behind to follow Jesus. Matthew leaving his tax table to follow Jesus. Others left other things to follow Jesus. It really wasn't a question at that time on what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. There wasn't a mystery because the people that had literally done it, had literally had left their things to literally follow Jesus were right there. And so it wasn't a mystery of what it meant to pick up your cross. It says he was full of wisdom, that Philip was a wise man. You know, I think of Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, which Philip would have very much under, clearly understood. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. He understood God's place and his role within God's world. He understood that. But not just as a fact. He just didn't understand about Jesus as a fact or God as a fact, but he applied his knowledge. He applied his insights into his life and it showed. That's how you know someone is full of wisdom, is that it actually shows in their life. It is reflected in how they carry themselves. It is reflected in how they live. It is reflected in who they are. 
That's how you know someone is full of wisdom. But this idea for Philip of picking up the cross, that can be a difficult idea. But it wasn't just for Philip. I think it's reflected in the others that were there too. I think that it enabled the solution to this problem to unfold. I think it, that, that, the, that the apostles had picked up their cross. I believe that the other six besides Philip had picked up their cross. I think there were other people there that had picked up their cross. And it enabled them to work together to solve the problem. But it's a difficult idea for us to pick up the cross. You see, when we first choose to become followers of Jesus ourselves, it's usually very exciting. Ah, my sins are forgiven. I get a clean start. I'm wiped clean. My robe is white as snow. I think about being with God forever someday. The thought of being in heaven for eternity, to be with God, to see Jesus, to be able to give him a hug, to understand that the, 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 the wall of bricks is torn down that separated me from my Lord has been taken down and that I have been raised to a new life. Oh, so exciting. What is not like to, about any of that? What's not, liked, not, what's, what's not to like? But as time goes on, it's the headwinds that get in our way. And they, they come, and we, bottom line is we want it to be easier. We don't want the headwinds. We want it to be a little bit easier. We want following Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to follow his teachings we want to follow his walk but we want him to be walking through Disneyland we want him to be walking on the sandy beaches we want him to be walking through the beautiful gardens where it's easy to follow and everything is nice but that doesn't describe life I mean, usually it's our, our own sinful natures or the sins of others that become stumbling blocks. The result of our own sin or the result of our own thoughts or activity, the result of other people's thoughts or other people's activity get in our way. These things block us. And then we want to put the cross down because it's a heavy load and it's not Disneyland. It's a hard idea to pick up the cross. It's a hard idea to take it with us. But in Philip's preparation for his life, when he grouped to get ready for things that would happen down the road where he would need to regroup. In part, he was carrying his cross. Thought number two is that he not only picked up his cross, but then he turned towards Jesus. I think about Luke chapter 14 and verse 27, where again, Jesus is talking to large crowds here. And in verse 27, 
He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Philip was a Jesus follower. You know, back in Acts chapter 6 that we read earlier, you know, the 12 had come up with a plan to have the seven men address the trouble they were having. You know, they had gotten the whole assembly together, and I can imagine maybe there were different ideas thrown out. Maybe one person said, hey, let's get a group of 20 people together. Maybe another said, you know what? I think Fred over here can do it all by himself. Maybe somebody said, you know what? Let's have, let's have some of these women over here. Maybe somebody else had another idea. Maybe there were several ideas. But whatever, however, the conversation went, it landed on picking the seven. And it says that the whole assembly was pleased. What a great idea. What a great thought. Yes, let's do it. Everybody had some great ideas, but yes, we all agree and are together because we've all picked up our cross. It is the we church here, folks. It is not one person. It is not just another person or a group of persons. It is all of us in it together coming up with this solution. And the whole assembly was pleased. Philip was glad to do it. The job was offered. Hey, Philip, we have something for you to do. And he's pleased to do it. Because he had picked up his cross and he was now following his Jesus. He didn't do it. He wasn't glad to do it because of the notoriety. I don't think he was looking to get his name written in the New Testament. He wasn't looking for a shout-out in the New Testament. He wasn't about, oh, finally, I get a leadership role, and now I feel loved. He wasn't about power or manipulation. I don't think he took on that role because no one else would do it. And he certainly wasn't shamed into filling this role going into the room feeling like a not enough a Christian and he had to do this to feel more saved or to feel as a better Christian. He wasn't shamed into filling the role. How do I know all these things? Well, it was his reputation. Remember, he was a man of good repute. He had a good reputation. That's who he was as he took this on. It was offered and he said, yes, please, thank you. I will gladly do it. I see the need and I will fill it. For Philip, he saw the need of people, and again, especially these widows. How many stories of Jesus helping widows were floating around at this time? Jesus had been gone for some time. But how many stories were still floating around? Or how many of Jesus' teaching where he highlighted widows in his teaching? Perhaps even at this meeting, the apostles that were with Jesus previously maybe even shared some of those very teachings. How many stories of Jesus' teaching on what love is, what mercy is, what sacrifice is, and what it looks like? And what it looks like when it's reflected in our lives? 
Philip was a follower of Jesus, so he was glad to take it on. He didn't follow Peter. He didn't follow John. He didn't follow this person or that person or another person, despite how great they may have been. He grouped. He got his life in order. He had one point turned from himself, his selfish nature, and he picked up his cross and he followed Jesus. And that, my friends, would prepare him for some regrouping that would be needed down the road. You know, when we follow somebody or something else other than Jesus, when we claim to be a Jesus follower, but we have other influences that are louder in our heads that often can come from a friend, social media, religious or political leaders, family members. But when we have claimed to be a Jesus follower and have louder voices from other places that are in our minds, that's when trouble and confusion set in. That's when we forget about Jesus. That's when doubt starts to set in is when we start to see all of these other things. And they get more in our face than our view of Jesus. I think back to a story when Jesus was still there. One night when Jesus walked on the water towards the boat that was filled with the apostles. And Jesus walked up in the middle of the night, scared them half to death. They thought he was a ghost. And then Peter shouts out, Jesus, if that's you, please let me step out of the boat and walk to you. And so Jesus tells him to come. And Peter, grabbing his robe to step over the edge of the boat, steps onto the water with his eyes fixed on Jesus, with him staring Jesus down. And he took his other foot and stepped out of the boat. And then it says that Peter took some steps on the water towards Jesus. But then Peter himself got distracted by the winds and by the waves. And his eyes went off of Jesus to the waves around him. And the wind blew him over. And the next thing you know, he was starting to sink. He had taken his eyes off of Jesus. When our problems outweigh Jesus, they start to consume us. That's why Jesus always needs to be in view. Jesus always needs to be the head. Jesus needs to be the one we follow as Jesus followers. Jesus and Jesus alone. I want to take or encourage you to take some time this week to take a look. Look at yourself, maybe do some journaling and put yourself in the place of Philip here. What is it that you are carrying? Are there worries, anxieties, anger, pressures of work, school, other things? Are there things that are consuming you aside from the cross? What is it that you are carrying? 
And the second thought is, what are you looking at? And maybe it's some of those very same things, the worries, the anxieties, the angers, pressures. Or is it Jesus himself? If you're not feeling headwinds now, I know they're coming for you because that's just a part of life. Storms will be coming. And you may be experiencing some now. Things are going to happen to you that you don't want, that don't make sense. Your path to live free is going to go in a direction you didn't expect. That's why, my friends, we need to group well. If we group well, if we prepare ourselves, if we get ready, if we have picked up our cross as Philip did, if we can have our eyes on Jesus as Philip did, it will help us to regroup better when trouble comes. It will help us regroup when things happen when we don't expect. And we're going to talk about that next time. I hope that was helpful. And if you liked it and would like to hear more, please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're in the Charlottesville, Virginia area and would like to stop in and visit us at a Sunday service, please send us a note or visit our website at blueridgedisciples.org for more information.